Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Well, I think after talking with him, you'll be convinced that he had nothing to do with it, but he's an easy target. He's there, doesn't have a whole lot of money. And, you know, and they got this prior situation that occurred, so logically, I understand it, he's a target. That's Ronald R. Gold talking about his client, Gregory Agnew. By the time we spoke with Gold, a second ex-lover of Greg Agnew had met her fate. It was his wife, Martha. And though police wouldn't say it, Greg was under investigation for murder. They were just trying to pin it on him because the detectives involved in this case, he had sued them and made a recovery in federal court against them. And they're still simmering over that, so they were trying to pin something on him that he had nothing to do with. That's all so simple as that. But is it so simple? This is Michigan Crime Stories. Michigan Crime Stories is a podcast that explores murder, mysteries, and mayhem in the Mitten State. Criminal behavior has always enthralled us. It's when societies determine what is and isn't allowed. We assume heinous crimes are committed by monsters, individuals we dehumanize in an effort to make sense of their deeds. Their victims sometimes seem distant, just faded names in a passing headline. But the terrifying truth is that crimes are committed by ordinary people just like you and me. And many of those crimes happen right in our own backyard. My name is Darcy Moran. And this is John Counts. We're reporters for MLive.com and your hosts for Michigan Crime Stories. This episode is part two of a multi-part special on MLive's investigation into the disappearance of Tammy Niver and the death of Martha Agnew, as told by host and reporter on this story, Darcy Moran. If you haven't listened to the first episode, you may want to start there. We left off at the disappearance of Tammy Niver in 1993, when rumors started swirling about her ex-boyfriend, Gregory Agnew, the subject of this episode. This episode is titled, The Suspect. He was dead. Yeah, he was dead. He he never never missed a holiday. He he was the last one out on Halloween. Halloween Halloween was my mom's favorite holiday. And um, he would take, you know, they would take us out and we could stay out until you couldn't legally stay out anymore. You know, he was the dad that woke us up for school in the morning and sang, sang songs to us to wake us up. He made breakfast. He, he helped cook meals. He barbecued. He was that, you know, part of a normal dad. That's two of Martha Agnew's children, Michelle Singh and Kristen McGeorge talking about their stepfather, Gregory Agnew, on a stormy August evening. The siblings grew up with a few father figures, but Kristen McGeorge was perhaps closest to Greg Agnew. She calls him Dad. The last time she saw him, she was picking up clothing for her mother to wear in a casket. I just ran to my dad, and he hugged me really tight. 
You see, Greg Agnew was with Kristen McGeorge when they found Martha Agnew dead in an Ypsilanti Township home. He opened the door to let his daughter in. According to his attorney, Ronald R. Gold, who you heard earlier in this episode, 50-year-old Greg Agnew is a lifelong resident of the Ypsilanti area, east of Ann Arbor and west of Detroit. As you heard in the previous episode, Tammy Niver's friend, Stacy Burke, grew up knowing Greg Agnew. They went to the same alternative high school in Washtenaw County, she said. She didn't know him to be violent, but Burke said he did have problems in school, sometimes throwing chairs and getting restrained. We couldn't confirm that. Either way, Burke said he was likable. I remember him always being really good with electronics. He could fix anything, he could make anything. We used to joke around about how if he was out on Gilligan's Island, he put in good competition with the professor. Oh, really? So he was... What would he make? Oh, he'd give him three different broken radios, and he could make one beautiful radio out of it and have it be better than anything else in the world. I mean, he was amazing. He had a really smart brain. He was really able to maneuver things. Me and him would always joke around just because I, I knew him as a you know, jokester. As an adult, he worked as a laborer. As a lifelong father figure for Martha Agnew's children, he was doting and dependable. He could fix anything. He could fix all their problems. <laughs> I mean, that's what I said. I house, electric, uh, carpet. Cars. He did all my carpet on my house. He did everything. Yeah. He, he was always there. Yeah. I mean, I know that I... He was controlling. The kids think about Caden and how many, like, the, like he he couldn't handle the kids, like, running around and so playing, much. or, like, he couldn't handle, yeah. like, you being a kid. Hey. So he, he was controlling in a sense where, you know, like, basically it was just easier if the kids weren't around because he couldn't handle the commotion of yeah. the kids. Me around a lot of I'm people. paranoid, you know, like, yeah, he was paranoid. That, yeah, I mean, growing up, we always, we had cameras. There was cameras in our whole life, our whole life, inside the house, outside the house. windows couldn't be open if, you know, if someone could, like, right now if it's dark see, outside, so it's light inside, so you have to close the blinds. You can't see yeah. inside your house. He was, he was always very Yeah, he was so paranoid. Gregory Agnew was charged with a crime once before in Washtenaw County. It was for a 2011 breaking and entering. He told police a friend talked him into going to a value food store that had been closed due to unsanitary conditions. He had a store security dome, like a camera, in his coat when he was found. Police could never find the friend, and Gregory Agnew eventually got probation after pleading guilty to misdemeanor illegal entry. But it's no secret that Gregory Agnew stayed on detectives' radar over the years. Police from various departments filed six other complaints against him. The prosecutor denied them all. One of the complaints was for malicious destruction of property. And in 1994, the year after Tammy Niver's disappearance, there were three misdemeanors. One of those was for an alleged assault involving Martha Agnew. She faced the same complaint, something that typically means the couple got into a fight. All the charges were denied. Gregory Agnew was never charged in the murder of Tammy Niver, but that's not because police didn't try. Here's John Counts with that part of the story, gleaned from federal court records. On Thursday, November 6, 2014, 
Six members of the Washtenaw County Sheriff's Office showed up at Gregory Agnew and then-girlfriend Martha McGeorge's door in Ypsilanti Township. Among them was Detective Michael Babich and Senior Officer Detective Craig Reisenen. Reisenen and the rest of the group said they were there investigating a car parked on the property. It was a ruse to get Gregory Agnew outside. Martha instead stepped outside. She was served with a subpoena. Greg refused to come out, and police said this in court records, quote, It is admitted that when plaintiff Gregory Agnew refused to comply with directives, ran inside the residence, and slammed and locked the door, that a decision was made that forced entry was warranted, and there was probable cause to arrest Gregory Agnew for murder, unquote. Gregory and Martha Agnew later claimed that police broke in through the front door, side door, and locked inner door of the home to arrest Gregory Agnew. Police held him for two days at the county jail and requested that prosecutors charge him with resisting and obstructing police. Prosecutors cited a 2012 state Supreme Court case when they denied the request. They said it, quote, provides that a defendant has a right to resist illegal police conduct, unquote. Details of the subpoena that Martha was handed aren't known. The sheriff's office has declined to comment, but we heard this from Martha Agnew's family. My mom called us when they were being taken in, and my mother said, they say they have a warrant for your dad's arrest for the murder of Tammy Nyberg. And we said, I said, okay, what do I need to do? They had Caden. They had my sister's baby. Michelle Singh told us that her mother hoped that by marrying Greg Agnew, she'd never have to take the stand against him. The longtime couple of nearly 20 years married a few weeks after the arrest. The next year, the couple filed a lawsuit. They accused the sheriff's office of violating their rights to privacy, due process, and protections from unreasonable arrest or seizure in the incident. In court records, the county confirmed they had no arrest warrant that day. They settled for $45,000. We've been trying to get Gregory Agnew's side of the story since 1993. Back then, when MLive Sarah Scott, as an Ypsilanti press reporter, knocked on his door, Gregory Agnew didn't answer. And the first time I got Gregory Agnew on the phone in 2018, he hung up on me as soon as I explained who I was. At the time, I didn't know for certain that it was Gregory Agnew hanging up on me. I'd called several numbers and knocked on a few doors to no avail. But after this attempt, his attorney and I spoke. He asked how I got Greg Agnew's number. Ronald R. Gold initially told us we could sit down to interview Greg Agnew. But, after speaking with his client, he told us Greg Agnew had already been through too much. It hasn't been easy for his stepchildren either. That day, February 17th, I lost both of my parents. I did. I lost both of them. We, we We all loved Greg. Me. And JD and Kristen. We loved her. We did. We loved her. It was easier for G- JD and I to accept it. I mean, it, it, you know, right away. I've always been. But she protected Greg. It took five months and a prosecutor laying out his case for Kristen McGeorge to believe her beloved dad could possibly be a killer. So it came to the arraignment. They said, like, this is what we have to charge him. Yeah. Yeah. That's 
Hey there, this is uh, John Counts with Michigan Crime Stories. I'm sitting here with MLive reporter Darcy Moran, who's been telling us this story, and MLive regional editor Sarah Scott. How's everybody doing today? I'm great, John. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for uh, coming out here again, Sarah. Oh, absolutely. Glad to be here. So this is our second installment, and it kind of centers around the suspect, Gregory Agnew. So this seems to be like a guy that has been on police radar for a very long time. So Darcy, why haven't they been able to arrest him and charge him with any of these these crimes over the years? Well, as we found out at the very end here, he has been charged this summer. But officers tried repeatedly to charge him with various crimes over the years, and six of those were denied. It's interesting in that what we were getting that information from is prosecutor denials, and a lot of those we don't have information on. So we don't have a lot of information on the cases, uh, what those police interactions were like. We only know that they were not charged, and the ones that we do have more information on are these past incidents related to the lawsuit. Um, how do you think that this the series of complaints that police have filed, how does that fit with what Mr. Gould is telling us, that Greg Agnew has been targeted by police all of these years? I think it seems to really support his case. Um, I think that's something he could certainly bring into court as we proceed with uh, the Martha Agnew death case and say these police officers continue to harass him. The one thing I will say, and um, we should note, is that not all of those six cases came from the same police department. All the cases filed through the same prosecutor's office, but that that does not mean that it's all the same police department. There's Ipsy Police Department, there's Washtenaw County. Um, So several of them were Ypsilanti police the officers involved with the 2014 uh, incident and who have arrested him are Washington County Sheriff's Office detectives and deputies. So before we go any further, let's just clarify for listeners um, exactly. So, so Agnew's been charged, but how does that change how we have to talk about him and how we have to report this story? Like what kind of precautions do we take when somebody hasn't been convicted yet? I can answer my own question if you like. <laughs> No, I'll answer it. Um, so when when somebody's not been convicted, we can't we can't talk about them that they're guilty. We have to be very careful Correct. about saying that they've committed any crime, that anything that against them is an allegation. You know the old you know you're you know innocent until proven guilty. So how has that affected your reporting of this story? Because a lot of the a lot of the stories that we do on this podcast are old and closed, and people have been convicted, or or they're just really cold cases. But this is an ongoing case. How has that affected it? Well, I think this is something Sarah can speak to too, from where this started. But it it changes dramatically how you tell a story. I mean, legally speaking, when someone is convicted of a crime, it is assumed, and and journalistic principles say that we can then talk as as though they have committed the crime and that's been 100% confirmed. When we're looking at an issue like this, obviously uh, we have to remain objective and we have to be careful and look at all sides and um, be careful with our language about it. And in this case, he has not been convicted of any murder. And I think uh, hopefully that's been clear here as we go forward in the storytelling, but we certainly want to give uh, Mr. Agnew a, a fair shake in the reporting here, and I think that's part of why we wanted to do this episode specific to him, so that we can kind of give a little bit more voice to the other sides versus just what we're getting from police. 
Right. And I, I think if I can just piggyback on that um, to Darcy's point, and I, I'm sure she can attest to this, going through this process of making sure that we're being ethical and fair is very labor intensive. And we went through several legal reviews with our attorneys to make sure that everything that we reported was accurate and attributed. And um, we were very careful about that. And Darcy and her direct editor, and um, Khalil, um, the three of us did a line by line on this story. It's like a five hour long <laughs> process, I believe. Yes. Um, so the process itself is very labor intensive, but I think very critical to make sure that our reporting is fair and balanced. And I just want to say one last time um, for anyone listening, it is absolutely true that Mr. Agnew has not been convicted of anything, and uh, we are learning more and more about the situation, and we ask everyone come to this with a, you know, an objective and open-minded uh, thought process. So I know both of you have tried to contact Gregory Agnew over the years. How have those efforts gone? Well, my, my effort in 1993 was unsuccessful. I, I knocked on his door um, several times and, and never got an answer. Yeah, and I, I think we talk about this a little bit in the episode, but yeah, I certainly tried repeatedly this year. I referenced in the episode one time when I called him, I actually called him again down the line, and he listened to me a little bit longer um, and then still hung up. But we, we do that because we want to make sure he has every chance he has to comment before a story like this comes out. And uh, w- when we first started reporting on this, it was prior to his arrest in Martha Agnew's death, and that is a little bit unusual for us to name a suspect prior to an arrest. This, we felt, was appropriate given the two different cases, the lack of police arrest since then and the lawsuit. It it was a little bit too much. We felt the public needed to know what was going on here on all sides. John, Darcy, can either one of you elaborate on what specifically drove police to to the Agnews home? Do we have any any evidence to show exactly what they were what their intention was? I think we might have some anecdotal off the record stuff, but I don't think anything that we could probably report, right? I will say there are some difficulties in this entire storytelling in in that we have some information off the record that we can't really discuss. But yeah, unfortunately in this off and on uh, the record, we don't have much on what drove them that time frame. Like why 2014? Why is that when they are showing up on their door doorstep? That is kind of unclear. I can say that having covered police agencies and and knowing different detectives over the years, that police will try to go arrest people for other things than what they're actually pursuing them for. So if they are wanted in a murder, for instance, they might try to shake them down for, you know, some like a drug possession or something like that. So I don't know if, I'm not saying that that's exactly the case this time, but this Greg Agnew was obviously on the radar and they were keeping keeping tabs on him. And and just a final thing, like you just said, they, they could be holding someone on one charge that they think they can get them on in hopes that they will talk and, and during the time they're being held can be interviewed for that. I will say an interesting note is I tried to pull the jail log from that time period and uh, I was told that that is not accessible via FOIA, which I disagree with certainly, um, but it, it made me curious as to whether or not um, they had possibly, you know, logged him in the system as, you know, a murder suspect or something like that. But certainly those charges never went forth to the prosecutor's office. And we should note once again that the Washtenaw County Sheriff's Office is not commenting on much of this case, right? 
No, um, I've spoken with some of the officers involved and Derek Jackson, who is the spokesman for uh, the sheriff's office. But no, they, they'll comment to an extent on aspects or so much to explain why they won't comment. And it wasn't actually until just recently that we learned what the settlement was, correct? Yes, that's correct. Um, I had to FOIA through the county to learn the dollar amount of $45,000. That was not listed in any court records. The sheriff's office actually repeatedly told me they were going to give me a statement about that incident and the exact settlement amount and then uh, would put it off and not do it and then said they weren't going to give it. Very good. Do we want to tell everybody what's coming up next? Next, we're going to dive in a little bit to uh, what I think has been a a long time coming here in this special, which is Martha Agnew. What happened there? Very good. Well, this has been John Counts with Michigan Crime Stories. And I'm Darcy Moran. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Martha Agnew's family and Ronald Gold for speaking with us. And thanks to you for listening. If you have any questions about the story of Tammy Niver or Martha Agnew ahead of our next installment, feel free to give me a shout at dmoran at mlive.com. We may read and answer your questions on the next episode. Again, that's d-m-o-r-a-n at mlive.com. I'm Darcy Moran, and this is Michigan Crime Stories. Next on Michigan Crime Stories. This was an elaborately staged crime scene. Uh, There was a copious amount of blood. Uh, the reality is, is that this was a premeditated first-degree murder that was conducted by Mr. Agnew with the intent of having it appear as though it was a drug overdose. Stay tuned. Stay tuned.